Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thanks, Tash. Thank you. Lord bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Um, a couple of things just before we kick in. A couple of things that I feel I should say. One is, um, can I get rid of some of this stuff? Uh, one is that um, axe marks a spot. There you go. Um, two big birthdays this week um, that I think deserve recognition. My brother Alan hits a new decade this week on Tuesday. All right, I'm not going to give away which decade it is, but it sort of has a perfection to it, the number. And um, uh, so uh, as a father of the house and, and um, all the stuff that he does and gives so generously, um, I thought it was important that we recognize him for that. And before we applaud him, which I'd love you to do, um, so happy birthday, all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this next um, decade. And... Um, and another person's hitting a new decade tomorrow is Hank. So um, not the same as Alan's decade now, <laughs> few behind, but um, Hank's sort of our go-to person here. He's, uh, he looks after the building. He's the man you can call at 7 in the morning or 11 at night. And um, we appreciate that about, about him. We appreciate um, all that he does and all that he gives over and above. And so I often say if cloning were legal, legal I'd clone Hank. So, um, um, so it's, it's just celebrate. Can, can we applaud these two men? So the Lord bless you. Hope you get loads of prezzies oh, and uh, loads of cake. So... Um, okay, we're going to continue on in our following Jesus and all of life, which is our definition of true discipleship. And um, of course, you know what we're doing. We're talking about this, how to do this in all of your life. And we've been unpacking a little bit about how to do it in our prayer lives. And so we're going to continue on, just in case you wondered what the table is at the front. That'll become a little bit more clear um, later on. Um, we started in this journey looking at this verse here in Philippines, looking at the idea of not to be anxious about anything. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? In a, in a society that's riddled with anxiety, it's one of the number one issues um, in our society, I, I truly believe. Um, but he says, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, you'll see all the different types of prayer there. He says, let them present your requests to God. And so we, we looked at how prayer is dependence on God and how we pray to kill anxiety and cultivate peace. That's the idea. And um, there are many Greek nouns for prayer. Some say seven, some say eight Greek nouns for prayer. And four of them are actually mentioned in this verse. And uh, see, see this little word here, present. Um, your authorized version will have the little phrase, be made. And it's this idea of constant, it's where, where Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray without ceasing. I said last week, it's like a, it actually has the connotation of a hackling cough. You know that, 
You just can't get rid of it. It just goes on and on and on. That's what they, they so he said, when you pray, pray this way. Keep it on and on and on and on. You know what you'd say to your kids or somebody, will you stop rhyming? Well, God says, keep rhyming. It's an incredible thing to be able to pray like this. And of course, we saw that Paul actually learned this. He learned this contentment because he, he prayed in everything because he had a promise that corresponded to everything. And we love this little verse, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And so Paul was recognizing that under him and around him and in him was the answer to every prayer, and that was Jesus himself. And if you're a believer in here, under you and around you and in you is the answer to every cry and every prayer, and that is Jesus himself. And so we began and we, we, we started off looking at the platform of prayer, which is need, and then we, we, we looked last week at this call to intercession. I want to try and um, dip back into that again, this call to intercession, and, um, and, and we looked at this verse, again, four different types of prayer, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, four different types of, of prayer again that to be made for all people, he said. Uh, all right, and Paul's urging us to, to do this. And then we, we looked last week, and this is the end of the summary, we looked last week at these sort of three ideas where there is an intervention, all right, this is what happens in intercessory prayer. You've got to decide, is this something you want to intervene into? All right, that's the first step. Am I going to intervene in this? So um, you ask yourself, you step into the situation with a divine purpose in view, and by doing this, we put the power of darkness under our feet. And then the next step is this intersection. So you decide this has went far enough. There's two roads here. So somebody who is terminally ill, you've got to decide. Number one, you've got to hear God. Do you intervene? That's the first step. Do you, do, God, do you want me to intervene in this? Um, You'll say to me, well, surely, Phil, you should intervene in every issue. And I always say, well, there's breath in the body, we pray. But it's really important to hear God. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Every single person that Jesus healed died. Every single person who Jesus healed died. It's appointed unto man once to die. All right? We don't talk enough about death. It is an enemy. But God uses it as a tool to take us home. And now you're all looking at me really, really strange. All right? But it's the truth. All right? And, and so we've got to understand if somebody's terminally ill, do I intervene? What is the intersection? Do I say, no, I'm not going with that medical report? I believe God has called me to stand in the gap and pray this way. That's what the intersection is, taking it a different road. And then the interception is where we, we, we step into it and we the means to stop, as it were, this idea to take over and reverse the direction of something. So um, that's where we got to last week, this idea of, of the call to intercession. And so what I, I want to do, I want to talk to you a little bit um, this, this morning about the who, all right? We talked about the what last week. So I want to talk to you about who, who can intercede, all right? And this is really important because um, I think that some of you in this room, and probably many of you in this room, 
think it's the job of the intercessors. It's, I don't have that gift. And we talked a little bit about that, that prayer is not a gift in the Bible. It's never mentioned as a gift. It's something that we do. It's something that we're called to. Now, when the Titanic left Southampton um, uh, a way, way back all those years ago, um, it had 3,547 people on board. And we know what happened. It hit the iceberg, and 1,503 people lost their lives. It was a bit of a misdemeanor. Many things went wrong in that. Some of the lifeboats had as few as 28 people on when they could have held 64. Um, so it was, there was only 2,208 life jackets on the ship with 3,547 passengers. All of these things. But what, we, what, what many maybe of you don't know is there were three ships actually quite nearby. This was one. Um, and this ship was called the Samson. And this ship, S-A-M-P-S-O-N, Samson, was only seven miles from the Titanic the night she went down. And um, he saw the flares going up, saw the danger. But because the crew, they were illegally hunting seals. And uh, they didn't want to be caught. So they turned and they went the opposite direction. And they sailed away from the Titanic. And I, I read these stories in the last few weeks, and I began to think of, of intercession. I began to think of people who actually think they're not called to intercede. And we turn in and we walk away from issues because we're so in, intertwined in what's going on within ourselves, we actually forget about what's going on out there. And the people on the Samsung were so internally intrigued in what was going on in their own lives that they... They neglected to look out. They neglected to intercede on behalf of their people. He was only seven miles from the Titanic. Now, the second one, this one, was called the Californian. And he was 14 miles away. He was 14 miles away. And, uh, and they were surrounded by a field of ice. The, the, the captain of the Californian actually said that there was ice. There was icebergs all around them. There was, they were caught in a bit of a field of ice. And so they saw the flares of the Titanic just 14 miles away and made a decision that it was too risky to go. Made it, now's not the right time. And they went back to bed, <laughs> literally. They, they saw these flares because this happened in the middle of the night, as you know. And they saw these flares and they, and they decided just to go back to bed and wait until morning. They tried to convince themselves that nothing was happening. And sometimes what we do in intercession, we say, well, I can't really do anything now. Because you see, I'm a bit broken myself. And because I'm a bit broken myself and all the ice is all around me, why could I ever help anybody else? You see how we, we, we can get into these things and we can get so self-absorbed with what's going on. This one here is the third one was called the, the Carpathia. And the Carpathia was 58 miles away from the Titanic, and he was going the opposite direction. He was heading away. He wasn't heading towards him. He was heading away. And the captain of this ship, believe it or not, was a believer. And um, I didn't know this till recently. And, and, and he heard the, dist the distress cries over the radio, and he fell down to his knees, and he asked God for direction, and then he turned his ship felt he heard from God, and he went full steam ahead through the ice fields. And that was the ship that saved 705 people. Um, 705 people. And, um, and here's what he said. When the captain looked back at the ice fields they'd come through, he said this, and I quote, 
Someone else's hands must have been at the helm of this ship. <laughs> Someone else's hands must have been at the... And, and I think what was happening here was this process. All three of these ships went through this process. They went through, do I intervene? No, I have too much going on in my, my own life. Well, maybe not now is the right time. The, the last one said, no, we, we can't let this happen on our watch. And so they, they realize there's an intersection, and they intercept, they move into this. You see, the, you see the, how, how intercession is so, so powerful. And so we need, to, we need to understand this. Thank God for the people who don't hesitate, who hear the go and go without hesitation. And life whispers to your soul and speaks to your heart. You need to remember that. Life whispers to your soul and speaks to your heart. And you need to understand whenever God is saying this and take those whispers to heart. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want us to turn to Psalm 23. It's on the screen, and I've done it in the NIV version. And it's a psalm that probably everybody in the room is familiar with. It's a psalm, the most commonly read psalm at a funeral. Everybody, Christian and non-Christian alike, knows Psalm 23. And I just want to point out a couple of little things in the psalm this morning before we respond around this table at the front, which will come clear in a moment. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anybody tell me the first three words here? I'll give you a clue. Shout them out to me. The Lord is. When you come to intercession, these are the three most important words in the psalm. When it comes to intercede for other people, these three words, the Lord is are the most important things about this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my advocate. The Lord is the captain of my host. The Lord is my savior. The Lord is my friend. The Lord is my alpha and my omega. The Lord is my doctor in a hospital ward. The Lord is my lawyer in a courtroom. The Lord is my all in all. He is all you ever want. He is everything. The Lord is. When it comes to intercession, we need to remember that. Don't ever let your busyness overcome his bigness. Now, I don't even know if bigness is a word or not, but an old friend used to say to me, you can make a word up as long as you say it with gusto and passion. So, so I'll say it again, all right? Don't ever let your busyness overcome his bigness. There is something about the bigness of God that is so, so brilliant. The Lord is, and when it comes to intercessory prayer, these words leap into importance. They leap off the page, all right? So he has everything you, you need, and you can trust him. And this is the most important thing about intercession. You need to know you can trust the person you're interceding to. You need to know you can trust him. You need to know that he is everything you need. Now, here's the second little thing. It says he makes me to lie down. Sometimes he, he needs to remind us that he is God and we are not. 
Sometimes he needs to remind us that he doesn't need us to fix the world. That, 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 that we don't need to organize the world for him. I, I got a word about the middle of last year uh, about decreasing, hiding a little bit. I didn't like the word, I have to say, and I've tried my best to put it into action. Not brilliant at it. But there's something about pushing ourselves and God pushing us into places where we need to cry out in intercession. I have a friend who um, recently told me a story about uh, um, he was on holiday in Lanzarote and he went for, him and his wife went on a camel ride. And um, there was maybe 20 people on a camel ride and they did this sort of journey from A to B, which was quite far, and did loads of luggage. And he said, what happened was they had a they had a camel that carried the luggage. And apparently the camel that carries the luggage, because it doesn't have a person on it, actually doesn't really respond to instruction very well. And he said that whenever they got to the end of the journey, what happens is, you know the thing, the camel goes down on its knees to let the people dismount from the camel. The camel carrying the luggage actually wouldn't go down. It gets stubborn. It doesn't actually go down. And so he said, it's interesting what happened because this camel is loaded with burdens and, and all, the only thing it has to do is kneel down and it'll get rid of all its burdens, but it's so stubborn it won't kneel. And the actually says the, the knees of the camel locked in place. And so what the, what the guy done was he got a stick, this sounds cruel for all you animal lovers, and he started to beat the camel around the back of the, the front legs. And he says in one case he actually started to draw blood. And he was beating the camel, and he had to beat the camel. And he said, eventually, he beat the camel to the point where the camel dropped onto his knees. And he says, as soon as it dropped onto his knees, we were able to take all the luggage off it. Pretty interesting, isn't it? He makes me to lie down. Sometimes we're so busy carrying our burden and, 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 and God has to get us into that place to make us. And some of you, so the, the camel has to be forced to bend to release his burden. And some of you are just one knee bend away from deliverance. Some of you are just one knee bend away from your answer to liberty and to your prayer. Some of you are just one knee bend away, but you're stubborn. And sometimes what God has to do, he has to make us to lie down. He says this, he says, he leads me beside quiet waters. I don't have much to say about this, but sometimes our lives are just far too noisy, aren't they? They're just far too noisy, far too much stuff going on, and, and we need to clear space. And if you're going to be a person who intercedes, you'll need to clear room for it. You'll need to clear a space in your life for this, all right? And if you're believing God is calling you into this place, you're going to have to create room. You're going to have to create some quietness in the midst of all of this. One of my favorites is this little line, he restores, or the NIV puts it, he refreshes my soul. This is one of my butt verses that I've had for many, many years. When I feel overwhelmed, when I feel I'm not going to cope, I remember that he restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now, you'll know this. Forgive me. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. 
Humpty Dumpty sat in the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Now, when I was a boy, Kenny says I was a weird child, and he may be right, but when I was a boy, I used to think about that little rhyme. And I used to go, hmm, all the king's horses and all the king's men. It's a pity you never thought of calling the king, isn't it? Pity never thought, pity didn't think he could have called the king. And here's the thing. Some of you are running to all the king's horses. Some of you are calling all the king's men. And all you've got to do is call the king. All you've got to do is call the king. And here's what Isaiah says. He says, do you not know? I nearly lost my voice there. Do you not know? He says, have you not heard? That the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power to the weak. He goes on to say, even young people, even youths grow tired and weary, but the young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar with wings of the eagles. They will run, and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So, so don't run to all the king's horses. Don't worry about all the king's men. Just call the king. Call the king. He has all the answers. And here's what he does. He actually prepares a table for us right in the midst of our enemies. Now, I had a little revelation about this a couple of weeks ago when I was praying and thinking about it. You know, have you ever been in a thin place? I mean, in, not in a, a good thin place, not... Not thin, in, in, but thin in, in your nerves. <laughs> you know, when you say, I'm down to my last nerve. Anybody been there? You just feel like you're, you're, you're treading on the edge of rage. That ever happened to you? Is it just me? I, I, I'm going to confess to you, this is one of my struggles. This is your, you, you think, is your placid pastor. I struggle with this. Rage inside. Sometimes I just get really angry. It's like, inside. I feel like I'm my last nerve. I say, oh, God, where did that come from? What is going on inside me? This anger, this this grips you like a vice. And even we things like answering an email starts to get irritating. And I'm passive aggressive, so I don't do today what I can put off till tomorrow. That's what passive aggressives do, you see. We put everything off. I'll answer that email tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll call with them tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And so, so I began to realize that God was really doing something here. He was wanting to redeem my imagination. He wanted to restore my soul. Because sometimes you can just get empty. The reserves are gone. And, and I love, um, Socrates said this. He said, an, examined life is not, an unexamined life is not worth living. A non-examined life is not worth living. Sometimes you just got to know what's going on. And, and could it be, could it be, here's a little thought, could it be when, 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 when God is writing that psalm, Psalm 23, we tend to think it's all the enemies coming from without. Could it be that he prepares a table for us with all our enemies that are going on within? Hmm. Could it be that when despair and discouragement and anxiety and fear and shame and guilt and rage and all of these things that we've talked about, temper, addiction, could it be these are the very things 
that are holding you back from interceding. These are the things that are holding you back from the who. You say, well, I wouldn't be good enough. Oh, Phil, if you knew what was going on inside, if you knew what was going on inside me, you would run me out of time. All of us deal with stuff. Everybody, everybody got stuff. And the problem is what, what happens is the enemy uses it as a stick to beat you. And he creates shame and guilt. He creates inability and fear. And you think, well, I couldn't intercede. How could I intercede for somebody? And I want you to know this morning that there's a road to the table. There's this idea. These are the very things that would stop. Here's, here's an interesting little story. When Jesus sent out the 12 the first time, and they come back, and they're sitting around the fire, and you know, when you read the scripture sometimes, you can tend to think it's a bit stiff and starchy, but these guys are, these guys have been together for a long time now, and they're, they're, they know each other really well, and, and Jesus is sitting around the fire, and he says, well, guys, what, how did things go on today? Sometimes we do this in our staff meetings. Any good stories? That's what I think Jesus did. Any good stories, guys? And one of the disciples maybe said, oh, I went up to this house today. I went around the doors, and I'll see you come around the house, chase me down, I had to jump over the garden gate. I imagine there might have been an odd story like if there was Alsatians in those days, uh, Rottweilers or whatever they are. I imagine there was a few stories. And then Jesus says this to them. Jesus says, well, well, guys, who did people think I was? And I have a sneaking suspicion that Jesus was actually asking them. <laughs> I'm wondering what you said when they asked that. And, and the disciples said, well, some said you're John the Baptist, some said you're Elijah, and I think, I have a sneaking suspicion what they were saying was, we're not really dead sure who you are. We just know you're full of charisma and love, and there's something in you that has caught us, and we haven't really a clue what we're doing. And then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And they're all going, oh, oh right. And then Peter, I know. Me, 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 me. You know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. And, and all the disciples said, oh, Peter, big mouth again. And then when, when Jesus says this, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, that came to you from heaven there. I said, oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> Here, here's, here's, here's my point. Jesus sends out a bunch of people that weren't perfect. Did all their inconsistencies. If you look through the list of them, there's not one of them you choose. And you're sitting here thinking, this stuff keeps you from the table. And Jesus says, there's a pathway to the table. There's a pathway to the table. He says, the enemy has kept you from the table. I prepare a place for you in the presence of your enemies. Now, here's a little thing. It talks about surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to, I'm going to come down a minute. James and Robbie, could you help me one wee tick? Sorry to pick on you. Didn't prepare you for this. But it's a bit like this, all right? Come on, on over here. If you can think of James and Robbie's like, like goodness and mercy, all right? And, and I get behind you, and there you stand together, and head, head that way, right? And you walk that way, I'm going to go behind you. And so the thing is, we tend to think this is what it is. I, God, I'm just trying to be good. God, I'm looking at your mercy. God, if, if I, I could just be better. If I could just get rid of this stuff in my head, God. God, I, I could follow you. I could bless you. God, God, please help me. Help me. I, I really want to be good. I really want to be merciful. That's how we read that scripture. Now, the scripture doesn't say that. It says goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. So you follow me. All right, can you keep up? 
So what happens is, what happens is goodness and mercy starts to follow me. Come on, boys. Come on. Goodness and mercy. Come on. Begins to follow me. Do you see? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Begins to follow me. Look. 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 Goodness and mercy follows me. Come on. Isn't that good? Thank you, guys. Thank you. That's... Isn't it true? Oh, I'm too old and too fat to do that. Oh. Um... But that is so true, so true. We, we get this mentality that we're always trying to be better. We're always trying to reach out. We're always trying to be the person that God has called us to be. And all the time, God's saying, no, all of you have a place at this table. Is it any wonder that, that after he says all that, after he says all that, he says, um, he says this. Let me go back there. Ah, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. And then, here, yeah. And he says, I will dwell. I will dwell. I have sort of a, an imagination when I read that little phrase that David is, is saying, it cost me too much to get here, to leave here. If you've ever been there, you're loath ever to leave there. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm still out of breath. Trying to outrun a professional footballer is not the right thing to do for my age. But, um, but this table is a place where God fights and we eat. The table becomes a place of delight, not a place of denial. It becomes a place that we are accepted, not driven away. It becomes a place where we can actually honor. And unless you get this right, you become powerless to intercede for others. And that's what the enemy has done. He has rendered the church powerless because all of this stuff's going on. And that little one I have about the head, there's pathways to this, you see. And so what I'm saying to you, if you're going to be a person who intercedes, you need to find some silence. You need to maybe go on a wee bit of a pilgrimage somewhere. Just take yourself out for a while. Some solitude, some worship. Understand the power of tongues and memorizing Scripture. You just need to slow down. You need to eat less fast food. And you need to get into the presence of God. And as you get into the presence of God, and, and, and I, let me say this, the church, the church, I believe, in Northern Ireland and the church across the world desperately needs people that are fattened at the table of the Lord. I say it again. The church desperately needs people that have been fattened at the table of the Lord. Far too many people are not coming to the table because they don't think they're good enough. And you see, this isn't about worth. <laughs> when the prodigal son came home and he said, I am no more worthy to be called your son, that didn't matter. It was, it was totally immaterial. It did not matter because the fact was he was his son. <laughs> The fact was he was his son, and he was always accepted, always accepted. And so what I'd love to do this morning, I'd love us to, I'd love us to, to, to I'd love, Johnny, would you come and could we sing that song again, the hallelujah song, could we do that one, um, worthy of your praise? Um, I think some of you have been trying to trust God but you've just refused to rest in God. You've been trying to trust God. I think if you were to depth your heart, all of you would say, well, I'm, I so want to trust God, but we just don't know how to rest in God. We just haven't learned the principle 
of resting. We haven't learned the principle of the table. He prepares a table for us right in the very presence of all the inconsistencies, all the things that goes on in our life, all the, all the rage, all the anger, all the despair, all the discouragement, all the addiction, all of this. He, now, and as we come to the table, we begin to realize he doesn't deny us a place of this. He actually brings us in with delight. And so what I'd love us to do, I'd love us as we sing this song, our prayer ministry are at the back, and if you feel you'd like ministry at any stage, then you can go down there. But what I'd love you to do, I, there's something happens when we respond, all right? Um, it, it, it's an external sign of an inward reality. That's what response is. And I'd love us this morning just to get out of our seats, walk up, and take some sweets. There's just sweets here. It's just a table of delight. And I would love you to do that as a symbol of acceptance, a symbol of right in the midst of all the turmoil that's going on in my life, right in the midst of everything. Goodness and mercy has been chasing me like these two boys. They've been chasing me down all the days of my life. And that, here's me trying to be good, trying to be better, trying to get more merciful. And all the time, it's chasing me. I didn't need to chase it. It's chasing me. Is there any wonder David could put his head in his hands like this and say, oh man, I could dwell there. That's a place I could live. Matter of fact, I could live in that place forever, all the days of my life. There is something about the power of God, about coming to the table. And so I'd love us to do that. I'd love us to stand. I'm going to pray. Our time's gone. Let's say, remember Humpty Dumpty. All right. You don't need to go to all the king's horses. And you don't need to run to all the king's men. You just need to come to the king. And as we do this, as I say, it's an external sign of an inward reality. I, I honestly believe, you see, the gifts of the Spirit don't belong to us. This is my theology in this now. And I don't often do this, but I'm telling you what I believe in this, all right? I believe the gifts of the Spirit are never ours. It's why we can't go and set up our little Philip Emerson healing ministry down the road. It's not mine. They're his gifts. They're the gifts of the Spirit. And, and he sends them at specific moments. That's why responses are really important. That's why when you go home and you think, oh, I wish I'd have done it. And you think, no, it's not the same. Because there's a moment of something, a divine impartation of something. And so I'd love you to come. You can take one sweet, you can take a handful of sweets. They're yours, all right? And that's the thing about dad. Dad doesn't care whether you take one or you take a handful. And you take whatever you feel you need. And I would love us to take of this table. You can compass both sides. It'll be a bit chaotic. But let's do that. Let's do this as a response to say, do you know what? He prepares a table for me right in the very presence of my enemies. And I can intercede. I am a person who can. Because amidst all that's going on, I can not be like the, the Samson or the Carpathia that... that that, or the Californian that headed away the other direction, but we'd be like the Carpathia that moved right in. Do you know in the morning after the Titanic sunk, they lifted 300 bodies out of the water, 300 dead bodies that both of those two ships, seven and 14 miles, probably could have saved. Power of intercession, we need to move. So let's do this. Let's do this as a response. Come and get some sweets, and I hope you enjoy. God, come and... 
seal your word to us, we pray this morning. And as we take of this table as an external sign of an inward reality of how you accept us, you don't deny us your presence, that you come, and Lord, you, you, you move right into the very midst of our inner enemies and you use us anyway. What a God you are. So bless us as we worship in Jesus' name. Let's do that. Let's move. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.